Section two of the Life of Abraham Lincoln, Volume two, by Ida Tarbell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty two: The first inauguration of Lincoln, the relief of Fort Sumter, Seward's ambition to control the administration. Part two. As this order went by sea, it was necessarily some time before it arrived night and day during this interval lincoln was busy in a series of original investigations of all sides of the sumter question while doing his utmost to obtain such information as would enable him to come to an intelligent conclusion he was beset by both north and south a report went out early in the month that sumter was to be evacuated it could not be verified but it spread generally until there was particularly in washington around mr lincoln a fever of excitement finally on march twenty fifth the senate asked for the correspondence of anderson the president did not believe the time had come however to take the public into his confidence and he replied on examination of the correspondence thus called for i have with the highest respect for the senate come to the conclusion that at the present moment the publication of it would be inexpedient three days later march twenty eighth while he was still uncertain whether his order had reached fort pickens or not general scott who was ill sent a letter over to the white house advising mr lincoln to abandon both sumter and pickens coming from such a source the letter was a heavy blow to the president one of the men he most trusted had failed to recognize that the policy he had laid down in his inaugural address was serious and intended to be acted upon it was time to do something summoning an officer from the navy department he asked him to prepare at once a plan for a relief expedition to fort sumter that night mr lincoln gave his first state dinner it was a large affair many friends besides the members of the cabinet being present the conversation was animated and lincoln was seemingly in excellent spirits w h russell the correspondent of the london times was present and he notes in his diary how lincoln used anecdotes in his conversation that evening mr bates was remonstrating apparently against the appointment of some indifferent lawyer to a place of judicial importance says mr russell the president interposed with come now bates he's not half as bad as you think besides that i must tell you he did me a good turn long ago when i took to the law i was going to court one morning with some ten or twelve miles of bad road before me and i had no horse the judge overtook me in his wagon hello lincoln are you not going to the courthouse come in and i'll give you a seat well i got in and the judge went on reading his papers presently the wagon struck a stump on one side of the road then it hopped off to the other i looked out and i saw the driver was jerking from side to side in his seat so says i judge i think your coachman has been taking a little drop too much this morning well i declare lincoln said he i should not wonder if you are right for he has nearly upset me half a dozen times since starting so putting his head out of the window he shouted why you infernal scoundrel you are drunk upon which pulling up his horses and turning round with great gravity the coachman said by gora that's the first rightful decision you have given for the last twelvemonth while the company were laughing the president beat a quiet retreat from the neighbourhood of the attorney-general 
lincoln's story-telling that evening was used as often happened to cover a serious mental struggle after many of his guests had retired he called his cabinet aside and agitatedly told them of general scott's letter he then asked them to meet him the next day that night the president did not close his eyes in sleep the moment had come as it must come at one time or another to every president of the united states when his vote was the only vote in the cabinet the only vote in the country the decisions and orders he should give the next day might plunge the country into civil war could he escape it all night he went over the problem but his watch only strengthened his purpose when the cabinet met the president put the case before them in such a light that on asking the members to give him their views only two seward and smith opposed the relief of fort sumter that day lincoln gave his order that the expedition be prepared and ready to sail on april sixth two days later he ordered that an expedition for the relief of fort pickens be prepared with the latter order he sent a verbal message to general scott tell him that i wish this thing done and not to let it fail unless he can show that i have refused him something he asked for by april sixth news reached mr lincoln from fort pickens the commander of the vessel on which the troops were quartered acting upon the armistice of mr buchanan had refused to land the reinforcements to relieve sumter was the only alternative and lincoln immediately ordered forward the expeditions he had been preparing at the same time he wrote with his own hand instructions for an agent whom he sent to charleston to notify the governor of south carolina that an effort would be made to supply fort sumter with provisions only at last it was evident to the members of the cabinet and to others in the secret that mr lincoln did mean what he had said in his inaugural address the power confided to me will be used to hold occupy and possess the property and places belonging to the government mr lincoln had another matter on hand at the moment as vital as the relief of sumter how to prevent further accessions to the southern confederacy when he was inaugurated seven of the slaveholding states had left the union in two others virginia and missouri conventions were in session considering secession but in both union sentiment predominated three others north carolina kentucky and tennessee had by popular vote decided to hold no convention maryland had already held an irregular state assembly but nothing had been accomplished by the separatists mr lincoln's problem was how to strengthen the surviving union sentiment sufficiently to prevent secession in case the administration was forced to relieve sumter evidently he could do nothing at the moment but inform himself as accurately as possible by correspondence and conferences of the temper of the people and put himself into relations with men in each state on whom he could rely in case of emergency he did this with care and persistency and so effectively that later when matters became more serious visitors from the doubtful states often expressed their amazement at the president's knowledge of the sentiments and conditions of their parts of the country the first state in which lincoln attempted any active interference in favor of the union was one which had already voted itself out texas a conflict had arisen there between the southern party and the governor sam houston and on march eighteenth the latter had been deposed 
when mr lincoln heard of this he decided to try to get a message to the governor offering united states support if he would put himself at the head of the union party of the state the messenger who carried this word to euston was mr g h giddings at that time the holder of the contract for carrying the mails by the el paso route to california he was taken to the white house by his friend postmaster-general blair and gives the following account of what occurred at the interview it is one of the very few descriptions of mr lincoln in a cabinet meeting which we have i was taken into the cabinet room and introduced by the postmaster-general to president lincoln and all the members of the cabinet who were there apparently waiting for us the president asked me to take a seat at the big table next to him he then said to me you have been highly recommended to me as a reliable man by the postmaster-general the hon g a grow and others they tell me that you are an old citizen of texas and about to return to your home my object in wishing to see you is that i desire to entrust to you a secret message to governor houston i said yes mr president i should have left to-night but for this invitation to call on you which was a great pleasure to me he then asked me a great many questions where i was born when i went to texas what i had been doing there how i liked the state and what was the public sentiment in texas in regard to the prospects of a war all of which i answered to the best of my ability he then said to me that the message was of such importance that before handing it to me he would read it to me before beginning to read he said this is a confidential and secret message no one besides my cabinet and myself knows anything about it and we are all sworn to secrecy i am going to swear you in as one of my cabinet and then he said to me in a jocular way hold up your right hand which i did now said he consider yourself a member of my cabinet he then read the message explaining his meanings at times as he was reading it the message was written in big bold hand on large sheets of paper and consisted of several pages it was signed a lincoln i cannot give the exact words of the message but the substance was as follows it referred first to the surrender by general twiggs of the united states troops forts and property in texas to the rebels and offered to appoint governor houston a major-general in the united states army in case he would accept it authorized him to take full command in texas taking charge of all government property and such of the old army as he could get together and to recruit one hundred thousand men if possible and to hold texas in the union in case he did accept the president promised to support him with the whole power of the government both of the army and navy after hearing the message read i suggested to the president that it was of such importance that perhaps he had better send it by some government official no he said those texans would hang any official caught with that paper i replied that they would hang me too if they caught me with that message i do not wish to have you hung he replied and if you think there is so much danger i will not ask you to take it although i am anxious to get it to governor houston as soon as possible as you live in texas and are about to return i was in hopes you would take it i will take the message with much pleasure i replied as you personally request it and will deliver it safely to governor houston only stipulating that it shall remain as one of your government secrets this he assured me should be done 
i remained there until about midnight the question of war or no war was discussed by different members of the cabinet mr seward said there would be no war the president said he hoped and prayed that there would not be a war i said to mr seward that as he knew congress had extended my overland mail contract one contract term and doubled the service that to put the increased service in operation would cost me over fifty thousand dollars which would be lost in case of war and i asked him what i had better do there will be no war mr seward said go ahead and put on the increased service you will run no risk in doing so he said that humphrey marshall and some others whose names i have forgotten had left washington a few days before that to go into the border states and hold public meetings and ask the south to meet the north and have a national convention for the purpose of amending the constitution he had no doubt he said that this would be done and that so far as he was individually concerned he would prefer giving the southern brothers the parchment and let them enter the amendment to the constitution to suit themselves rather than have a civil war he said in all probability some arrangements would be made to pay for the slaves and the gradual abolishment of slavery with these momentous affairs on hand lincoln needed freedom from trivial and personal matters if ever a president needed it yet one who reads the documents of the period would infer that his entire time was spent in appointing postmasters there was no escape for him the office seekers had seized washington and were making the white house their headquarters there were days says william o stoddard when the throng of eager applicants for office filled the broad stairways to its lower steps the corridors of the first floor the famous east room the private parlors while anxious groups and individuals paraded up and down the outer porch the walks and the avenue they even attacked lincoln on the street one day as his carriage rolled up the avenue a man stopped it and attempted to present his application and credentials no no said mr lincoln indignantly i won't open shop in the street this raid had begun in springfield with the election as mr lincoln had been elected without bargains on his part he did not propose to consider minor appointments until actually inaugurated i have made up my mind he said to a visitor a few days after his election not to be badgered about these places i have promised nothing high or low and will not by and by when i call somebody to me in the character of an adviser we will examine the claims to the most responsible posts and decide what shall be done as for the rest i have enough to do without reading recommendations for country postmasters all of the hundreds who had been put off in the winter now reappeared in washington now lincoln had clear notions of the use of the appointing power one side should not gobble up everything he declared but in the pressure of applications it gave him the greatest difficulty to prevent this gobbling up another rule he had adopted was not to appoint over the heads of his advisers he preferred to win their consent to an appointment by tact rather than to make it by his own power a case in point is disclosed in a letter he wrote to general scott in june in which he said doubtless you begin to understand how disagreeable it is for me to do a thing arbitrarily when it is unsatisfactory to others associated with me 
i very much wish to appoint colonel meggs quartermaster-general and yet general cameron does not quite consent i have come to know colonel meggs quite well for a short acquaintance and so far as i am capable of judging i do not know one who combines the qualities of masculine intellect learning and experience of the right sort and physical power of labor and endurance so well as he i know he has great confidence in you always sustaining so far as i have observed your opinions against any differing ones you will lay me under one more obligation if you can and will use your influence to remove general cameron's objection i scarcely need tell you i have nothing personal in this having never seen or heard of colonel meggs until about the end of last march but that he could appoint arbitrarily is certain from the following letter you must make a job of it and provide a place for the bearer of this elias wampole make a job of it with the collector and have it done you can do it for me and you must in spite of the terrible pressure brought to bear upon him by the place hunters in spite of the frequent dissatisfaction his appointments gave and the abuse the disappointed heaped upon him he rarely lost his patience rarely was anything but kind his sense of humour aided him wonderfully in this particular the incongruity of a man in his position and with the very life of the country at stake pausing to appoint postmasters struck him forcibly what is the matter mr lincoln said a friend one day when he saw him looking particularly grave and dispirited has anything gone wrong at the front no said the president with a tired smile it isn't the war it's the post office at brownsville missouri the public man relates in his diary the end of an interview he and a friend had with the president on march seventh he walked into the corridor with us and as he bade us good-bye and thanked blank for what he had told him he again brightened up for a moment and asked him in an abrupt kind of way laying his hand as he spoke with a queer but not uncivil familiarity on his shoulder you haven't such a thing as a postmaster in your pocket have you blank stared at him in astonishment and i thought a little in alarm as if he suspected a sudden attack of insanity then mr lincoln went on you see it seems to me kind of unnatural that you shouldn't have at least a postmaster in your pocket everybody i've seen for days past has had foreign ministers and collectors and all kinds and i thought you couldn't have got in here without having at least a postmaster get into your pocket the strange bedfellows politics was constantly making always amused him one day a man turned up who had letters of recommendation from the most prominent pair of enemies in the republican party horace greeley and thurlow weed the president immediately did what he could for him mr adams is magnificently recommended but the great point in his favor is that thurlow weed and horace greeley join in recommending him i suppose the like never happened before and never will again so that it is now or never what say you a less obvious perplexity than the office-seekers for mr lincoln at this period though a no less real one was the attitude of his secretary of state his cheerful assumption that he not mr lincoln was the final authority of the administration mr seward had been for years the leader of the republican party 
his defeat in the chicago convention of eighteen sixty had been a terrible blow to a large number of people though seward himself had taken it nobly the republican party was not made for mr seward he told his friends but mr seward for the republican party and he went heartily into the campaign but he believed as many republicans did that lincoln was unfit for the presidency and that some one of his associates would be obliged to assume leadership when mr seward accepted the secretaryship of state he evidently did it with the idea that he was to be the providence of the administration it is inevitable he wrote to his wife on december twenty eighth the very day he wrote to mr lincoln of his acceptance i will try to save freedom and my country a week later he wrote home i have assumed a sort of dictatorship for defence and am labouring night and day with the cities and states my hope rather my confidence is unabated and again on january eighteenth it seems to me if i am absent only eight days this administration the congress and the district would fall into consternation and despair i am the only hopeful calm conciliatory person here when lincoln arrived in washington and asked seward to read the inaugural address the latter gave it the closest attention modifying it to fit his own policy and in defence of the changes he made he wrote to the president-elect only the soothing words which i have spoken have saved us and carried us along thus far every loyal man and indeed every disloyal man in the south will tell you this he began his duties as secretary of state with the same confidence in his call to be the real if not the apparent head of affairs when the question of relieving sumter came up he believed that it was he who was managing the matter i wish i could tell you something of the political troubles of the country he wrote home but i cannot find the time they are enough to tax the wisdom of the wisest fort sumter is in danger relief of it practically impossible the commissioners from the southern confederacy are here these cares fall chiefly on me according to mr wells secretary of the navy confidence and mutual frankness on public affairs and matters pertaining to the government particularly on what related to present and threatened disturbances existed among all the members of the cabinet with the exception of mr seward who had or affected a certain mysterious knowledge which he was not prepared to impart mr wells asserts that mr seward carried so far his assumption of the cares of sumter and other questions as to meddle in the duties of his associates in the cabinet he opposed regular cabinet meetings and at first had his way after tuesdays and fridays were set as cabinet days he contended that it was not necessary that a member should come to the meeting unless especially summoned by mr lincoln or himself if mr seward had been less self-confident he would have seen before the end of march that mr lincoln had a mind of his own and with it a quiet way of following its decisions others had seen this for instance he had had his own way about who should go into the cabinet there can be no doubt of it any longer wrote the public man in his diary on march second this man from illinois is not in the hands of mr seward then there was the inaugural address it was his not mr seward's and more than one prominent newspaper commented with astonishment on that fact nobody knew these facts better than the secretary of state 
he had discovered also that mr lincoln attended to his business this president proposes to do all his work he wrote to mrs seward on march sixteenth he had received too at least one severe lesson which ought to have shown him that it was mr lincoln not he who was casting the decisive vote in the cabinet this was in reference to sumter during the period when the president was waiting to hear from fort pickens commissioners from the southern confederacy had been in washington mr seward had not received them but through a trusted agent he had assured them that sumter would be evacuated there is no proof so far as i know that mr lincoln knew of this quasi promise of his secretary of state as we have seen he did not decide to order an expedition prepared to relieve the fort until march twenty ninth from what we know of the character of the man it is inconceivable that he should have authorized mr seward to promise to do a thing which he had not yet decided to do the secretary assumed that because he believed in evacuation it would follow and he assured the southern commissioners to that effect suddenly he realized that the president was not going to evacuate sumter that his representations to the southerners were worthless that he had been following a course which was bound to bring on the administration the charge of deception and fraud yet all these things taught him nothing of the man he had to deal with and on april first he sent mr lincoln a letter in which he laid down an astounding policy to make war on half europe and offered to take the reins of administration into his own hands some thoughts for the president's consideration april first eighteen sixty one first we are at the end of a month's administration and yet without a policy either domestic or foreign second this however is not culpable and it has even been unavoidable the presence of the senate with the need to meet applications for patronage have prevented attention to other and more grave matters third but further delay to adopt and prosecute our policies for both domestic and foreign affairs would not only bring scandal on the administration but danger upon the country fourth to do this we must dismiss the applicants for office but how i suggest that we make the local appointments forthwith leaving foreign or general ones for ulterior and occasional action fifth the policy at home i am aware that my views are singular and perhaps not sufficiently explained my system is built upon this idea as a ruling one namely that we must change the question before the public from one upon slavery or about slavery for a question upon union or disunion in other words from what would be regarded as a party question to one of patriotism or union the occupation or evacuation of fort sumter although not in fact a slavery or a party question is so regarded witness the temper manifested by the republicans in the free states and even by the union men in the south i would therefore terminate it as a safe means for changing the issue i deem it fortunate that the last administration created the necessity for the rest i would simultaneously defend and reinforce all the ports in the gulf and have the navy recalled from foreign stations to be prepared for a blockade put the island of key west under martial law this will raise distinctly the question of union or disunion i would maintain every fort in possession in the south 
i would demand explanations from spain and france categorically at once i would seek explanations from great britain and russia and send agents into canada mexico and central america to rouse a vigorous continental spirit of independence on this continent against european intervention and if satisfactory explanations are not received from spain and france would convene congress and declare war against them but whatever policy we adopt there must be an energetic prosecution of it for this purpose it must be somebody's business to pursue and direct it incessantly either the president must do it himself and be all the while active in it or devolve it on some member of his cabinet once adopted debates on it must end and all agree and abide it is not in my especial province but i neither seek to evade nor assume responsibility mr lincoln replied executive mansion april first eighteen sixty one honorable w h seward my dear sir since parting with you i have been considering your paper dated this day and entitled some thoughts for the president's consideration the first proposition in it is first we are at the end of a month's administration and yet without a policy either domestic or foreign at the beginning of that month in the inaugural i said the power confided to me will be used to hold occupy and possess the property and places belonging to the government and to collect the duties and imposts this had your distinct approval at the time and taken in connection with the order i immediately gave to general scott directing him to employ every means in his power to strengthen and hold the forts comprises the exact domestic policy you now urge with the single exception that it does not propose to abandon fort sumter again i do not perceive how the reinforcement of fort sumter would be done on a slavery or a party issue while that of fort pickens would be on a more national and patriotic one the news received yesterday in regard to st domingo certainly brings a new item within the range of our foreign policy but up to that time we have been preparing circulars and instructions to ministers and the like all in perfect harmony without even a suggestion that we had no foreign policy upon your closing proposition that whatever policy we adopt there must be an energetic prosecution of it for this purpose it must be somebody's business to pursue and direct it incessantly either the president must do it himself and be all the while active in it or devolve it on some member of his cabinet once adopted debates on it must end and all agree and abide i remark that if this must be done i must do it when a general line of policy is adopted i apprehend there is no danger of its being changed without good reason or continuing to be a subject of unnecessary debate still upon points arising in its progress i wish and suppose i am entitled to have the advice of all the cabinet your obedient servant a lincoln the magnanimity of this letter was only excelled by the president's treatment of the matter he never revealed mr seward's amazing proposition to any one but mr nicolay his private secretary and it never reached the public until nicolay and hay published it mr lincoln's action in this matter and his handling of the events which followed gradually dispelled mr seward's illusion 
by june the secretary had begun to understand mr lincoln he was quick and generous to acknowledge his power executive force and vigor are rare qualities he wrote to mrs seward on june fifth the president is the best of us end of section two